Okay, best SUVs arriving in 2023. Aussie new car buyers can't get enough of them. And local showrooms will be full of fresh offerings across the coming year. City size, family friendly, off-road capable. There's a lot of interesting fresh SUV metal headed our way. Welcome. I'm Cart Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary. And joining me on the podcast panel to look at eight significant 2023 new SUV arrivals are EV Guide lead Tom White. Hello. And someone who always has their finger on the automotive pulse, editor Mal Flynn. Hello, everybody, including you, James. Uh, We'll also cover off this weekend news and take a look at a sleek Cupra SUV, a VWR in a non-traditional package, and a big Ford designed for a big country in Cars in the Garage. So stay with us. Okay, we're looking at a Tung Nguyen story which focuses on the headline SUVs scheduled for a 2023 launch in Australia. And he says in opening up the story, look, glance down your local street, take a trip to the local shops, and chances are about half the cars you see are SUVs. I mean, they are now everywhere and probably most of what's left are utes um, anyway, but um, they're so important. So he's written a story about the new ones that we can expect over the next 12 or so months. And let's kick it off. Tom, can I throw to you, please, to give us uh, a chat? It's an important one for this company. Let's let's get rolling. Yeah, so this one's uh, the BMW X1. So it's uh, Beamer's sort of rival to the Audi Q3 or uh, Mercedes-Benz GLA. So it's sort of in that small SUV bracket. Uh, I've never been a fan of this car, but this one might change that because I think uh, it's got this awesome interior design that makes it look like a mini BMW iX on the inside. Like it's got the floating double dash panel and the new wheel and kind of this new paired back look to it, which is really cool if you've been in uh, or seen any of those new BMW products. But I think the most interesting thing about uh, the new X1 is we will get the uh, electric version. So there's a fully electric version too. We won't be getting the plug-in hybrid, which exists over in Europe, but we'll be getting the electric ones and the combustion ones. So I reckon uh, it's a pretty promising looking little thing. Yeah, the, the pure electric is called iX1, XJ30. Mm. Um, so there's no no third row, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a compact kind of SUV. And it, I think you're looking at uh, 53, nearly $54,000 before on roads to get into an X1 is what we're saying. And in a sense that BMW's finally properly tried with this smaller SUV, like the first two generations have kind of been, oh, everyone's doing it, let's do one. Right. This seems to have the right stuff on paper, at least, finally. Good. good. All right. Well, that's that's good, Mel. It's, thank you, Tom. It's a perfect segue to you. Another, um, well, Hold on. It's Japanese. It's it's a different kind of segment. Fill us in, please. Sorry, was this me? Yes. The new CRV. So big shoes to fill. The the current one when it launched um, kind of really lived up to the CRV heritage in that it was the right size, but lots of packaging. Um, very interested to see how they managed to price it. Uh, does the, the does the lots of packaging refer to it was tightly wrapped? So it had cellophane, then the brown paper, then, you know, masking yeah. tape. And, and, a, bow, and, and a bow, bow on the top, top. Yeah. which is Thank how you. I like it. Yeah. Thank you very um, much. The wheels were individually wrapped in separate right. packaging. So. <laughs> Just extends the, the joy of... Some assembly required. Anyway, moving right along. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how it actually transpires, um, given the strategic shift Honda's, um, I mean, taken overall, but also with the HRV recently. 
um, the you know the, the hybrid version is significantly more expensive than what we um, have come to expect from HRV in the past. Um, it'll be pretty bold if they do the same thing with CRV. Yep. Um, but yeah, keen to see. It's it's some tough competition too, isn't it? When you think about Rav Four and CX Five that was so dominant for such a long time, Tucson, Sportage, Outlander. It's a pretty tough field. Yeah, Forrester. Yeah. You name it. Yep. So sixth generation, it's longer, wider. Uh, it's got a longer wheelbase. It's done that creeping thing, and it's now a hundred millimeters longer than a Rav Four, um, we believe. So there it is. All right, thank you, Mel. We'll keep going. Um, I'll pick one up. This is the Range Rover Sport petrol. Uh, we know it is coming next year, so it's a new generation car um, and five grades. Um, not unusually for Land Rover Range Rover, you've got SE, Dynamic SE, Dynamic HSE, uh, Autobiography, and a first edition. So the SE, your entry point into the whole thing, is just on one hundred and forty thousand dollars before on road costs. So that point of entry makes it almost $20,000 more expensive than its predecessor, um, the starting point. Turbo diesels, turbo petrol inline six with electric motor for a plug-in hybrid. Um, and the 510E plug-in powertrain, 294 kilowatts, 700 newton meters. Uh, so that's exclusively available in the dynamic HSE trim, and it's going to be a couple of hundred thousand dollars. So... Um, I've always had a, a pretty soft spot for the Range Rover Sport. I think it's been a really interesting part of the Range Rover lineup and looking forward to seeing this one. How do you guys feel about the design of the, the third generation? Well, it, it, it sort of falls in line with where uh, Land Rover and Range Rover has been going in terms of simplicity. Yeah, just, the, just the hair, soften of the edges. right back, yeah. Like the Discovery. Um, I'm keen to see it in the flesh, actually, because... Like the, the previous two have been just design benchmarks for the entirety of their lifespans. True. Um, True. Not True. initially convinced by this one, but yeah. Okay. I think, I think that's flesh. one of the things, right? The minimalism or, or, or sort of even the design of the, the current one, you know, it's, it's aged pretty well, I think. Like it could come out today and you'd be like, yeah, fair enough, you know. Totally. Um, but this one, like, again, I agree with you. I'm not sold by the kind of paired back lines on it. And I, I actually kind of miss the the tough first-gen Range Rover Sport that cool. sort of modernised the original classic formula. So, anyway. Yeah. Interesting. I'm a, few, a bit the same way with the Evoque. It's almost like the second Evoque could have been the first one. You know, you, mm. they could have been introduced in reverse and it'd be completely viable. Yeah. And, you know, they've retained the proportions that define these cars, Evoke and Sport. Like, they're the, they're the big thing. So. I think we're, Mel, I think he's frozen. <laughs> we'll, wait, we'll wait for Mel to rejoin uh, reality. And, Tom, we'll keep going on Range Rover. The full-size grown-up, full-fat SV. Tell us a bit about that one. Yeah, so uh, essentially, it's it's just the full version of uh, the car we've just talked about. Um, but again, it'll be sort of uh, headlined by plug-in hybrid variants joining the range, as you said. It's not going to be cheap. You know, we're talking uh, sort of upwards of $200,000 for these, particularly the plug-in hybrid versions. And the top-line SV, which is the, you know, performance-thumping V8, uh, is in the range of $391,000. So uh, not a cheap car at all. 
has that minimalist design. Um, I love how one of the pictures that we've put in the news article for this car, so go read it, has yep. uh, little champagne glasses and a little flip-out table in the in the rear row. So that's uh, kind of giving you an idea of the customer base for this car. Uh, we're talking almost like a discount Cullinan or or a, or a kind of budget uh, Bentayga. Which I think actually is interesting because I think it's necessary for the Range Rover. I think in a lot of ways, you know, we've had Range Rover Sport step up and that's kind of the car that's in mind for a lot of Range Rover buyers now. So what is it that makes the Range Rover special? I feel like it's lost its way a little bit and maybe moving up market will give it somewhere to be, you know. That's an interesting point. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Now I will move on to the Jeep, the the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Uh, five-seater. So it launched as a seven-seater, and uh, we've covered that, the seven-seat L, uh, reasonably extensively on the site. But Chesto did go over to uh, drive this car. It wasn't, was it to the States, Mal, do you recall? Was it to the US? I think yeah, it was. USA. Yep. USA. And uh, the interesting thing about it is that it will include the 4xe, which is the plug-in hybrid version of a Jeep uh, Grand Cherokee. So, um, you know, we're feeling that it feels a bit more premium, a more polished interior, uh, much bigger price tag. You know, the the plug-in hybrid will be north of $100,000, we reckon. Um, offered internationally in a base guise, Trailhawk, Overland and Summit Reserve. So we'll see where it ar- arrives here, what kind of trim levels we get. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Good. Now we'll circle back to, where are we? Next one, Mal, you, you, you left us for a little while. But, oh, uh, I just had to duck outside, but I'm back. Um, so Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz GLC. So yep. the second generation of the GLC, but technically the third generation mid-size SUV after the GLK that wasn't available in Australia. But Byron has driven this car internationally already and has come away very impressed. And it's significant in that it's now uh, Mercedes' top-selling model, yep. um, which aligns with you know lots of other things. Mid-size SUVs are very popular. Yep. But uh, showing great promise. Okay. Um, any other Pretty details? Good. Pretty good. No, the, plug-in, the plug-in hybrid won't be joining the range this time around, which I think is really interesting because it seems as though every other manufacturer is trying really hard to get the plug-in hybrids uh, here as soon as they can. But uh, Mercedes moving in the opposite direction and focusing more on electric vehicles than the plug-ins. Yeah, because it was within, I think it was not even three years ago that they launched the EQ power range. Yeah. With you know, I remember at Frankfurt they had the entire stage filled with uh, either electrified or plug-in hybrid, a lot of plug-in plug-in hybrids, uh, and they've already moved beyond it. It seems or mm-hmm. moving it's true. beyond it's, it. It's it's indicative very isn't fast. It? We realised uh, just in the last week or so that by stealth, um, Merck has essentially launched another sub-brand. So you've got Mercedes AMG, you've got Mercedes Maybach, and now you've got Mercedes EQ. So uh, they're they're even more serious about it, obviously. Um, which was an interesting move in and of itself. Um, Before we go any further, our old mate Planes, Trains and Dogs and Cars says, look, Range Rover is not a car to have after the warranty runs out. So that's his opinion. (laughs) Um, Have they ever Sorry, Tom? Have they ever been? That's a good point. Good point. All right. Now, why don't I tip in with one? That is the Mazda CX-60. There's been a lot spoken about this car. It's just bigger than the CX-5. But it, again, features a plug-in powertrain um, in the flagship form. So it's rear drive platform, straight six engines, um, expected to kick off about $55,000 with a 2.5-litre four, I think an engine that we're familiar with, from the Mazda 3 and the 6 
and CX-5. Uh, but the plug-in will be the interesting one. It's just this never-ending series of niches that Mazda seems uh, determined to fill. Yeah, but this one also brings, I think, the boldest Mazda design in years. It's, yep. it's the biggest departure from that simple flowing Kodo, um, Kodo look. Um, so we'll be interesting to see how it's received. It's such a statement of the move towards the focus on the US market as well with yep. the engine, big body. Yes. Interesting. Very good. Um, we've had a comment from Mushandi who says, I'm surprised that more high-performance SUVs aren't using the hybrid system. And I think, you know, here we are talking about a few of them, but um, maybe he's thinking maybe he or she is thinking maybe even more uh, would be appropriate. Okay. So then, Tom, I think you could round out the list with uh, a Lexus. Yes, a new Lexus RX, which I think is uh, really interesting. For a lot of people, I think RX is Lexus. Uh, like it's that kind of midsize SUV that's defined the brand for such a long time. Hybrid, of course, without a plug being uh, that kind of core to the Lexus brand as well. It, I think it's a bit of a different customer um, than you get for its traditional kind of German opponents. Um but I think this one looks quite good, actually. Every time I look at it, I, initially I thought it was quite odd with its new sort of nose that it's got. Um, but I think it's growing on me. I think it looks quite tough in, in a in a way. And I think uh, it's got really interesting drivetrains as well because it brings a new sort of performance hybrid version as well that has uh, 273 kilowatts, 551 newton meters. So, you know, plenty. Which is um, plenty. So and that, think, that uses a new 2.4-litre turbo. So it's a it. new hybrid system, not Atkinson cycle. It's combining a turbocharged petrol engine on the regular auto cycle with that hybrid system. So I think that could be a really interesting car. Very, in terms of refinement as much as anything. But, I like but you're the right. That, I was just going to say that F Performance is a new grade uh, for Lexus. So this car introduces that into the, into the whole Lexus lexicon. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I, I like the way there's two flavours of hybridisation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the F performance that you know uses the hybrid element to generate genuine performance is a continuation of uh, where Lexus really started with hybrids with the Lexus GS450H and the LS600H, where they were less about outright efficiency. They were really efficient, but also really fast. And yep. you know, it sort of preceded Tesla in in teaching us that ele- electricity can be fast. Yes, so absolutely. More of that. It's uh, it kind of fits the brand. All and right. there is a plug-in hybrid version like there is for the NX as well, even though I said, you know, there'll be a focus on these kind of hybrids without a plug as there usually is with Lexus and Toyota. But there is a, pl- a plug-in hybrid coming as well. And, and if the NX is anything to go by, it'll be uh, very competitive. So, Super. That's good. Okay. Thank you, guys. And it's worth just as a, at a high level, we've covered it in, in previous uh, podcasts, but in amongst all this are EV SUVs as well. And just to name a handful... Cupra Born, Kia EV9, Skoda Enyaq, Subaru Solterra, and the evocatively named Toyota BZ4X, which we've all agreed sounds like Elon Musk's next baby. That's what he's going to name that person. But so, so there, there's the combustion, there's the hybrid, be it um, a plug-in or not, as well as a whole bunch of EVs. The next little while is going to be super interesting. Let's Let's put it that way. All right, that's great. Thank you, guys. And now we are going to move into This Week in News.
Right. This week in news, we've um, we've got three stories that seem to be clicking up a storm on our site. Tom, could you kick us off with um, an interestingly named newcomer uh, that will be with us probably sooner rather than later? Yeah. So uh, I think it's part of this interesting torrent of new manufacturers to our market. You know, um, I think. As much as much as people have mixed feelings about MG and LDV and Haval, uh, they've really opened the door to show that there's mega success to be had in Australia for Chinese manufacturers. And this new one um, is uh, called iways, I believe. Um, and they've been active in uh, obviously China since their uh, inception is re- relatively new manufacturer. They, they started in 2017 mm-hmm. um, and now they're active in Europe as well. But uh, the announcement recently was they're um, eyeing off uh, right-hand drive production slots. Um, we might not be first. Uh, so that right. sort of gives me the idea that maybe they're sort of targeting something like the UK because they're already over there in Europe. Um, but right. uh, mm-hmm. they they have shown definite interest in launching in Australia, which is the most interesting thing. Mm. They have two models at the moment uh, for the international market. The U5 uh, is probably the one w- which will arrive in Australia first. And it's sort of a, a, a funny looking uh, SUV, midsize roughly. Uh, it's electric. Uh, and that's the other thing about this brand. It's all electric. So no combustion cars. Probably should have opened with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of 150 kilowatt motor, a pretty healthy range, 410 plus kilometers, um, and reasonably competitive. Uh, offering i think it, it'll be cool. it's just i think all of these manufacturers are going to come here and really shake this market up because they're they're doing something that uh few other manufacturers are doing and that's in bringing the cost down for electric cars so Super. i think the more competition the better i think iways iways sounds like a um you know a selling scheme for people to buy super high quality cleaning products where uh you know they're, they're into that market as well sorry or, no, uh, go ahead or a, a, the uh, iPad version of the Melbourne Street Directory, perhaps. That's right. That's um, nice. well, <laughs> well done. Thank you, James. Now, on the topic of uh, competition, though, it's interesting that you know Australia is already really, oh, sorry, already really diverse in its brand offerings. You know, we've got sixty odd, and then we're getting all these new electric only brands as well. It's you know, it's a lot to take in for the, it's going to be, the it's going to consumer. be interesting times. Now, mm. speaking of interesting times, um, you set up the Mal Tent City at Mount Panorama a while ago, Mal, and went and observed the great race. And we've got a news story that that um, leans into the whole supercars thing. Tell us a bit about that one. Yeah, so this, this most recent uh, race and weekend uh, coincided with the revealing of the final version of the, the Gen 3 Mustang with the new... Um, the the new body panels that were revealed in Detroit last month, I think. Um, but uh, our very own Stephen Utley's done this great story where he's pondering where to from here or where to in the future for for supercars, given it's kind of really defined itself uh, as a V eight only category. Yeah. Uh, but reflecting that there just aren't many V eights around anymore. Or yes, in, it's, you know, it's the anomaly the of oh, yeah. ten years. We'll we'll welcome any Very other few manufacturers, manufacturers as long as you've a got a V8. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a good read. Very good read. I recommend having a squeeze. Okay, and we've had a bit of discussion about it in the office, where some diehard uh, touring car and supercars enthusiasts couldn't care less about the the Mustang and the Camaro that will be going around next year, and others are like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. So um, we'll we'll see where it goes. Time will tell. 
All right. Good watching. All right. Now, I can finish this off with a car that was long awaited. We had some uh, pretty interesting what we know so far, and now we know pretty much everything there is to know about the new BMW M2. And our predictions were pretty accurate. It's going to get essentially the M4's powertrain. So it's the second generation car, second half of next year for Australia, about $120,000. So it's $17,000 or dearer than um, getting into the older one. And it will have the three litre twin turbo inline petrol six, 338 kilowatts, 550 newton meters in a little car like that. Six speed manual available, 0 to 100 in a tick over four seconds. All the details on the spec, the tech, the suspension, rims and rubber are in the story. Go and check that out if you want it all. Um, and I dare say there'll be a bit of a rush to pick that one up. I reckon it'll be great. And if we get the opportunity to, to drive one, I, I am certainly looking forward to it. It's such a uh, celebration of the end of the combustion era for that little car, isn't it? It's going out with, you know, six bangs in a row. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. All right, that's good. That's our news. Head there and um, get it, all the details on those. But now it's time for Cars in the Garage. Right, cars in the garage. This is the uh, these are the machines that we've actually been driving, not just thinking about, not just riding about, but actually steering. Um, and Mal, can I start with you? It's a Volkswagen R, but not as we usually know it. <laughs> well, there's a bit of that going around at the moment. So uh, the specific one I've been driving is the T Rock R, which is the latest addition to the growing R range, uh, and so it's the smallest. Um, SUV to wear the R badge. So you could think of it as you know, a bit of a jacked up Golf R hatch, uh, but it's significantly cheaper than the Golf R. It's uh, appreciably smaller than the Tiguan R. Um, and I think I'm really glad to see the R range expanding in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like the Golf R wagon, I think will be um, collectible in future. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a great kind of performance utility thing that, it, you know, broad appeal and no one else is really doing that. Yeah. Um, Tom, you did the launch. What were your uh, what were your big takeaways? And you also did the Tiguan R too, didn't you? Yeah, I did Tiguan R as well. Uh, I think, the, yeah, I, and I agree with pretty much everything you've said. I mean, it's only real competitor in this space is the, the Kona N and that's front-wheel drive, whereas this offers the all-wheel drive. Um, it is uh, sort of... Uh, it, it sort of seems unfair to say, but it's like a last gen tech in terms of the Volkswagen wheelhouse because the new mm-hmm. Golf 8R has some very clever technology underpinning it, um, which the T-Rock doesn't get. But I, I, I agree. I just think it's a fantastic shot at a, like a great mainstream high performance product that keeps that whole spirit alive. It's I, I thought it was I thought it was fun. Mm. And distinctly different in its personality to the Kona in. Yeah, right. definitely. And, you know, it's it's yeah, it's cool to have choice. It's cool. I still get a bit confused between um, you know the various T Rock and other T Cross, T Cross, and all that stuff. I'm still a little T1, bit bamboozled by all that, but but yeah, choice is great. Who's who's going to argue against that? Um, now, thank you very much, Mel. Tom, can we move on to you, please? In the same group of brands, but a distinctly different one. Yeah, Cupra. Um, so very similar concept to the T-Rock R. It's like a little performance small SUV, I suppose, uh, the Formentor. Um, but 
uh, this one's different. So this one's a plug-in hybrid, uh, which you can't get from Volkswagen at the moment. Um, and usually when we talk about plug-in hybrids, it's all about, oh, you know, it's efficient or sustainable or, you know, how far can you drive it on a single charge? But the interesting thing about the Formentor VZE, which is the plug-in hybrid that I was testing, is that it takes a completely different uh, sort of approach. And that's that uh, it's fun to drive. And so few hybrids manage that. So I... I it caught me off guard in that way. I wasn't expecting it to be so engaging. Uh, it hides the weight of its batteries well. I actually likened it a bit to a Golf GTI in terms of the way it drives and the way it feels and looks. Like it, it's a very seriously fun and uh, engaging sort of vehicle. Um, the main drawback being it costs more than the T Rock R and almost yeah. as much as a Golf R. So uh, yeah. a bit of a pain point there. <laughs> I think what I like about the fermenter is that it has a unique shape. You know, it's not just, just another SUV or it's, it's more of a crossover, but it's, it's got a fascinating proportions. And I, it, yeah, it's probably the, uh, the most exciting thing in the Cooper range at the moment. I thought the, 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 the powertrain alignment's interesting too, Tom, in that it's not always the case where you get engine motor transmission and in, in that order. So it's kind of interesting in that regard as well. Yeah, so it doesn't just stick a motor on a, an axle and then have the engine completely separate. Yeah, it goes engine and then has a motor which is plugged into the transmission instead of even something like um, the I don't know, Subaru uh, X, uh, Subaru XV hybrid, which has the the transmission itself is a motor, which is a bit odd. So they, yes. they all have this different approach of, of going about it. Um, but yeah, it, it works really well. It's really smooth. It removes all that kind of uh, sort of jerkiness that you might experience with a dual clutch transmission which um, I was re really impressed with. Um, so, yeah, it, it caught me off guard. I thought this car was really cool. And as you were saying, Mel, it could have so easily just been a badge swap on a, on a T-Rock, and it's not. It's, it's, it's very much its own shape and look and feel. Fantastic. Very good. All right. Thank you. Thanks heaps, Tom. I'll finish this off. I've been in a Ford Everest Platinum. So it's seven-seat SUV, just under $78,000 before you put it on the road, but it's got that three-liter twin-turbo, uh, sorry, three-liter turbo diesel V6, uh, 184 kilowatts, 600 newton meters. It's all-wheel drive, 10-speed auto, and the Platinum uh, model replaces titanium. So work that out, but there it is, marketing spin. It's loaded. It's got everything from 21s, LED matrix lights, sunroof, quilted leather, heated and cooled front seats, 12-speaker sound. It just goes on and on. It is actually stuffed with a heap of features. And the signature is the 12-inch portrait media screen uh, plus buttons and knobs, which I really like that combination. I think it works well in this instance. Loaded with safety as well, and the dynamics are pretty good. Um, it's, it rides well, particularly for a ute-based um, SUV. It's bigger. It's now uh, 4.9 and a bit meters long, and the wheelbase is 50 millimeters longer. It has a wider track, so it's got that that bigger, more imposing stance. I found the engine to be just a little bit coarse. You know, you, you get that kind of engine noise coming into the cabin. Not a not a deal breaker, but it's there. Uh, the interesting. Gear, the gear shift I thought was a little bit awkward. The shifter itself has a detent button on the front of it and it just sort of arcs over the different positions. And in parking maneuvers, particularly, I just didn't find it very easy to use. So again, nitpicking, but you'd get used to it, but I didn't like it. And a tow pack is $1,700. I noticed the tow bar was on the car that we've got um, and it's $1,700. I would have thought when you're up around that nearly $80,000 mark, maybe that would be included. But I think in summation, for me, it just fulfills that big, 
big country, big car brief, you know, that used to be um, for the big family sedans. I think this is the equivalent in 2022. It's super comfortable and uh, very practical and and offers everything that a, a family would need in a seven-seat SUV. Which is some achievement given it's ute-based and it's yeah, a reflection right. on how good the Ranger is as a ute. Absolutely. Um, I agree. But And I, I agree with what you said, sorry, about the, um, the selector. Like, yep. I remember when they we, we did the launch and we saw the pictures and all the rest, I thought, beauty, it's still a proper shifter. Mm-hmm. It looks like a proper shifter, but it mm-hmm. doesn't work, doesn't deliver that, you know, not even not needing to look at it functionality of a, of a tra- right. traditional yeah. shifter. Yeah, and I think if the pressure's on, if you're trying to do a quick three-point turn and you get caught out and that Kenworth is coming at you, it's like, oh, dear, um, that kind of stuff starts to count. I think finally it looks good. I think that's one thing that oh, always got me about the, the previous one is that it it looked okay, I guess. Like it, like it was it, it was passable, but but the new one looks fantastic. It really it really um, sort of gets some of those nicer kind of high, elements of high end Fords in America and actually applies them properly. Particularly that rear three quarter, I think finally looks good. Cool. Okay. I completely disagree with both of you on that front. <laughs> wow. Awesome. What I reckon the last one was a, from the front was a design uh, masterclass. All right. Yeah. Anyway, but design is subjective. There, there it is. Go. It's proven yet again. That is such a subjective area. But anyway, that's what I made of it. I, I, I enjoy driving it and uh, I think I'm in it for the next few days. So uh, looking forward to that. But with that, we have reached the finish line. So it's time to say thanks to all our listeners and viewers. And thank you, Mel. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And well done to our production guru, Mr. Brett Sullivan. He's the consummate do-it-yourselfer in the garage, a fact borne out by the T-shirt he's wearing, which says, yes, I'm a car guy. I change my own blinker fluid. Um, Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn, or traditionalists can email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars would be great. And good news for listeners, we're back on track with Apple Podcasts. Um, Any missing episodes that uh, were missing are now posted up, so that's great. And viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, look, a mate of mine was on holiday driving through northwest Tasmania headed towards Cradle Mountain. He just passed through a smallish town when a huge pig runs out of nowhere, straight under the car, bang. Shocked, he gets out, sees the pig's injured, but doesn't know quite what to do until he eventually rings triple zero, which connects him to local police. Uh, Hello, I just hit a pig in the road, he said nervously. The officer asks for his location and then says, I also need your home address. And my mate says, why do you need that? Well, in this part of the state, injuring a farm animal is an offence. We'll be sending you a fine in the mail. So my mate immediately hangs up and gets straight out of there. Uh, About a week later, he's back home, checking the mail and sees a fine from Tasmania Police, Queenstown Command. Stamps his foot angrily and says, damn, that pig squealed on me. (laughs) 